Hello, welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different states who are excited to talk to each other and also to learn and grow alongside of each of you. My name is Megan. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lauren. Hey, sisters. Hey. Hey. What is up? What is up? Um, We are excited (laughs) to chat today. We have a really cool guest and I know that we're super excited about it because we are super passionate about real estate and Kristen does it full time and my husband and I invest in real estate. So this is a topic that we love and I think Megan will be able to bring a perspective of somebody who's not in the business full time. So that will be great too. But um, today our guest, his name is Hunter Connolly. He is the CEO of Village Real Estate, one of the largest real estate firms in the Nashville area. Village has over 300 experienced and dedicated agents with offices in three key Middle Tennessee locations. Hunter is also a principal and co-founder of Evergreen Real Estate, a real estate development company focused on acquiring and redeveloping residential and multifamily product properties, excuse me. Based in Nashville, Evergreen owns over 2,500 units in Nashville, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Louisville, and Auburn, Alabama. Evergreen principals have experience in a range of multifamily, mixed use, and single family developments, having developed and renovated in excess of 4,500 units with a total value of over $1 billion. Wow. He serves as a board member of Christ Presbyterian Academy. He graduated from Sewanee. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. (laughs) Sewanee, (laughs) the University of the South with a Bachelor of Arts in Economics. Hunter and his wife, Caddy, have four children. Hunter, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thanks for having me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're we're excited to chat. If you would, let's just start by giving our listeners a little bit of your background and kind of how walk us through how you got to where you are today and what is your current focus. Okay, well, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Swanee was uh, where I went to college, as you mentioned, and um, <laughs> it's about a couple of hours from Nashville and. Okay. Uh, Small liberal arts school, um, loved it there. Just met some great lifelong friends. I got to, I was uh, a basketball player in high school, loved basketball. So um, nice. that was kind of the, the <laughs> ideal uh, level for me is kind of D3, Division three uh, basketball and got to do that. And um, so just had a, an amazing four years at Swanee. Moved back to Nashville after graduating and worked for an investment firm doing research for them. Um, I was an econ major. So that was a really good experience for me learning about how the public equity markets worked. But we did research on larger publicly traded companies. So I got a mix of seeing how a small company worked. And then also, you know, in doing research on larger companies, I got to experience some of that as well. Yeah, that's great. I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial streak or passion. And so I guess my entry into real estate happened while I was working for that investment company. I So backing up in 
high school and kind of as you become, as I became aware of uh, just kind of financial things, I, I grew up in kind of an upper middle class home as well, uh, you know, provided for in every way, but there was significant uh, financial stress kind of in my, you know, or adolescence and teens and I just kind of mm-hmm. always was attuned to that and felt it. And, uh, mm-hmm. I had, um, I had an uncle who, who was a model kind of, I guess a different model of financial success. And so that, that was, that was someone who I went to and he actually owned a residential rental property and he okay. had a, a regular job. He actually, uh, ran a small plumbing company and mm-hmm. then owned, uh, residential real estate on the side. And so useful to have. (laughs) Yeah, I know (laughs) it went well together. And, but he would, he just kind of would talk to me about how he did it and did it one at a time. So my idea coming out of college was I would have a job doing something. uh, And then on the side, I would start building up a portfolio of rental properties. And so I bought, uh, oh, and I would, and I guess because I'd been through that financial stress as a as a kid, uh-huh. I was gonna not be in that spot. I was not gonna be financially stressed. I was gonna save <laughs> but, money every month. I'd save up a down. I'd saved up a down payment, bought this yeah, rental kinda. property. I I lived in one side and rented out the other, and I had a roommate even on my side. So I was basically able to live for free. And uh, you know, I was twenty three years old or whatever. And, That's so uh, awesome. Yeah. So That's that kind of lit awesome. a fire. I, um, I wish I would have read this book a long time ago, but just recently my husband and I actually read a book called, um, oh gosh, I think it's like the heart of money or something like that. I'll have to look, but it just, it basically does that. What you just explained, it kind of forces you to go back and just um, understand your relationship with money and where that stems from and, um, and kind of walks you through the steps to get to kind of the, op- the optimal place <laughs> with the relationship of money. But that's really cool that you were able to kind of, um, acknowledge that from such a young age and kind of take action and do what you did with the duplex. So did you bought, did you buy that on your own or did, um, were you able to have help from someone? Yeah, no, I bought it. Uh, I bought it on my own, and a couple of years later, I was living there, still had all the roommates, and was engaged to get married and to Caddy. And uh, so we um, started looking like you know it didn't make she wasn't going to move in with a bunch of my roommates, obviously. <laughs> and so we started <laughs> yeah, looking around. I don't blame her. We started looking around for a uh, <laughs> for a house. And we did it again. So we found another house with a, this had an upstairs rental unit. And um, that was probably the, my best sales job ever was convincing her to uh, move into another duplex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we were, uh, you know, we were newly married, didn't have kids. So we lived in the downstairs, rented out the upstairs, uh, kind of similar situation as before and really did that for about five years. We had our first child in that house and just in the downstairs because it had two bedrooms downstairs, still had the tenants upstairs. And then when we had our second child, um, we, Mm -hmm. we kicked out the, the tenants upstairs 
I mean, not kicked him out, but we, we took over the upstairs and, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and did the lease. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and took over the entire house. We're living large. So anyway, so those two early, those two early deals were, were transformative for me, um, financially because, um, we bought them in good areas. They had appreciated. We didn't, you know, the cash flowed a little bit, but it wasn't, you know, rental properties are a strange thing. You will probably regret buying it for the first five years that you own it. Yeah. But then you'll look up in 10 years and it's like, oh my goodness, I've got a hundred thousand dollars in equity that I somehow just kind of magically appeared, you know, or, or wow. and so, yeah, that's what happened. We lived there and over, uh, over time just looked up and, and had some net worth that we had built up. Um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, you know, some crazy re- retirement amount, but it just kind of got us ahead in our, yeah in our twenties. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize and real like, especially first time home buyers, I run into this a lot where they don't think they can buy, right? Like they, they don't realize there's programs like THDA or that you can actually do a gift of funds. Like there's so many options. I think that, you know, younger people don't know. And so I always suggest like, Hey, if you think, you know, if you have a job and you think you want to buy, definitely look into it. It's worth it because um, like you're saying, Hunter, you you can grow equity a lot quicker than you realize in a lot of cases. So um, I always suggest that, especially for people in their early 20s. It's yeah. kind of crazy. You can, unlike any other asset, you can put down, even if you put down a fairly large down payment, like 20%, you can control you know, a hundred percent of this asset that then you can rent and have someone else pay off over the next 15 years. Yeah. And so there's nothing else you can really put that little down, you know, 10 or 20% control this large asset. Then you can, you know, use to the rental income to pay off over time. And there's there's tax benefits along the way and there's all sorts of these little things that that just kind of are wind in your sails. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Hunter, because um, like I said in the beginning, my husband and I, we chose the single family route uh, to start off with, and we are up to 26 doors now in Texas, and some of our friends in, in the business, you know, they joke with us because they are in multifamily and they're like, come on guys, you know, move to the big leagues (laughs) with like apartments instead of single family. But you kind of, you touched on the exact reason that for us, at least right now, we are comfortable with single family. And I think that what you said about control has a lot to do with that. I think when you compare single family investments with other types of investments in real estate, that the control piece is what we just kind of like, because one, you know, it's just us. We don't have any other partners that we're having to deal with. And two, you know, we have full control to where if, you know, we wanted to sell the house, we, you know, could do it tomorrow if we wanted to. So I like how you said that, because for us, that's kind of our main drive behind sticking with single family. And it's not to say that in the future, we wouldn't, you know, dabble in some other areas, but sorry. Um, uh, dumb question. What is multifamily? What do you mean? <laughs> That's not dumb. Good question, Megan. Have. Hunter, why don't you answer that for us? Yeah. So multifamily is just a fancy way to say apartments. So 
single family. Oh, okay. Obviously that makes sense. Duplex is yeah. another, you know, obviously it's two units and then multifamily covers kind of anything more than, you know, triplex. It's like a big apartment building. So it may have gotcha. hundreds of units in it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I could see how that would feel a little more risky than just a house. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times too, whenever you move, like if you want to buy an apartment complex, a lot of times you have to have partners or investors to do that. Um, so that just kind of brings in a whole different ball game, I guess you could say. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. So Hunter, how did you, so you and your wife um, got super motivated by the first two duplexes that you guys did. And obviously that was something that carried on. And so how did you um, get to where you are today with Village and then also with um, the development company? I, I'd love to kind of dive into more about what you guys do and what your focus is with that. The way we started our development company was with a guy named Mark Deutschman, who uh, had founded Village Real Estate in 1998. He wasn't a developer. He, he owned a real estate brokerage company, but he had a passion for infill urban development. He got to know Aaron and I, and we built a company developing kind of infill real estate in the urban areas of Nashville. Nashville up until that point just did not have a ton of uh, cool loft rehab, urban infill development at the time, had all these cool neighborhoods that from the 70s and 80s and most of the 90s had just kind of been neglected. And, and so it was a really good time to kind of dig into those areas. The market was, um, really strong during this is now 03 to 07 and so we were building mostly infill condos um, we built uh worthen lofts was one kind of our biggest development i guess which is in an old three hundred thousand square foot bag factory in nashville oh wow uh, it's old brick and we did it over five different phases uh, so we started off with a 21 unit phase, then a 23 unit phase, then a 30 unit, 36 unit phase, and finally did a 120 units kind of in 07, right up against the uh, the downturn. Um, How did that work out for y'all? I've sold many of those <laughs> so, units. It worked out well. Yeah, we, we made it through. So yes, yeah, so that's where we kind of cut our teeth in the development uh, business. And uh, it was great for for Mark uh, Deutschman at Village. They would list and sell all of our product, and so we had this this really good relationship that we built cool. um, over that time. Nice. Then the downturn hit in '08. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, speaking of, you know, obviously you've lived through and worked through many recessions, um, and I was just curious what your thoughts are, like. Do you think we're in a recession now? Are we headed for one? If so, how is that? How is it different? You know, with the coronavirus, et cetera, going on right yeah. now, like how is this recession? Do you feel like different from the ones you've already lived through? Yeah. So, a loaded. Question. I do think <laughs> yeah. we're. I think we're headed into a recession, uh, for sure. <laughs> Just you know, with the with 
the effects of um, the unemployment. Yeah, I just don't see any any way around it that we're not in a technical recession. Um, so I guess my I don't think it's going to be like the recession 11 or 12 years ago, uh, which was a real estate led recession. There was just there was too much supply in the market relative to jobs. There were too many buyers being approved for loans who shouldn't have been able to qualify for a mortgage. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, our market heading into this recession on the real estate side it just feels totally different. Um, the supply has kind of continued to be constrained. Um, mortgage requirements have been more stringent leading into it. And then I think nationally, just on average, people have a record amount of equity in their homes uh, relative to other times, especially relative to 2008. Yeah. Right. Have you, have you, are you seeing right now um, with lenders in Nashville, at least, are they, have they become even more since this Corona thing was just like overnight, basically, are you seeing that they're being even more strict as far as approvals go like with, you know, credit and everything else? Yeah, yes. I think they're, we've started to see that already and I think that'll continue. Mm -hmm. And then also things like uh, the jumbo loan market, which is loans over about six, 700,000, those bigger loans where there's more risk, those have uh, gotten a lot more stringent as well. Yeah. But credit scores will probably go up. Lenders are really worried about loaning to someone who then loses their job. Right. So. Right. Yeah. With that said about, you know, that we are, if we're not already in a recession, what are your thoughts about, you know, buying and selling? Like, what would your suggestions be for sellers or buyers who are thinking about selling and buying? Would you say hold off? Would you say go for it? Interest rates are low. Like, what's your advice on that? I'd say that the market will, like I said, I don't expect a big dip in real estate values coming mm -hmm. out of this. I feel like um, it will take some time for kind of the employment and the economy to get back to full strength, but I just don't see the same drop in values like 2008. Yeah. On the other hand, I don't, I also don't think that, so in, in residential real estate, one of the big terms that people use is days on market. So how long has this property been sitting on the market? Mm -hmm. And if it gets, too old, then it's almost like there's something wrong with the property and it hurts the marketability of it. And so I actually think that the, the days on market, that, that won't be a, a big deal moving forward, right. you know, yeah. especially coming out of it. It'll just be a easily explainable. Well, yeah, the, the coronavirus, like there's not. And so I don't think that would be a reason to, um, to not, put your house on the market right now. Yeah. Um, that stigma will kind of be gone. And then, but I do think that the supply and the inventory um, in the market will decline. Cause I, I do think people will kind of slow down putting things on the market. And so if you're a, if you're a seller, I think it's actually a pretty good time to put your house on the market. A people are home and a lot more and they're online looking around and uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Pretty soon, I mean, even if you are afraid to take physical tours now and, you know, our agents are doing a 
a really good job of doing tours in a way that um, is safe. Yeah. But I, even if you want to hold off, there'll be a time fairly soon when, you know, it's, it's more back to normal getting out, being there. And so if you've, if you've had your phone, your home out there marketed well, I think it'll be, I think you'll be in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Good to hear. I was actually going to ask you, Hunter, is Nashville, is real estate considered non-essential in Nashville right now? So we're considered essential. Yeah. So we are, we're still doing business, doing it differently and, and safely. Our office is, we've had, we have our staff working from home. And so, and our agents aren't in, in the office every day, but they can still, they still are working from home, you know, yeah. As far doing as showings, like doing virtual tours and uh, things like that. That's what I was going to ask. As far as like showings, open houses goes, what are your, what's your team doing different? Is it just everything is more virtual or is anybody going physically into homes or? Yeah. People are, people are still going into homes. Um, they're doing things like, you know, wearing, wearing gloves, wearing masks, right? not touching, opening cabinets and doors and just being more hands off. Um, so our, uh, governing body, National Association of Realtors has, has given a bunch of guidelines and best practices mm-hmm. for that. You are seeing some, uh, markets like Seattle is a, is a market that is, I think a, was hit very hard. They were hit, I think first by the coronavirus with, uh, um, they have a lot of, uh, travelers back and forth. And so they were, were hit very hard and they and they still have a fairly healthy market coming out of uh, out of this um really still wow. in a lot of ways wow. a seller market seller's market there's an article in the wall street journal on monday kind of talking about that mm-hmm. how buyers were like That's i really expected to to see more values out here but i, I just gotten a multiple offer situation and you know, it's kind of similar to before. So I think if, yeah. if you were in a healthy market before the coronavirus hit coming out, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll recover and you'll still be in a healthy market. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm seeing just because I, rep, you know, I am a realtor and I represent buyers and sellers. I'm, I've been in multiple um, offer situations during this pandemic, which is crazy. Um, and I think you're right. Like buyers ex- are expecting like, oh, I thought, you know, I'd get a better deal. And I'm like, N- well, not really. I mean, interest rates are low. Inventory is low, which that all is a recipe for a seller's market. Um, yeah. So with that said, so it sounds like in your opinion, you know, selling is pro- listing your home could be a good idea. And also because interest rates are low, you know, it's also a good time to buy. Um, Hunter, in your opinion, what would you say for like investors? Would you say, would you also suggest it's a good time for them or maybe hold off? What is your opinion on that? So uh, I guess I would, um, it really depends on what your goals are and what type of investor you are. So our um, business was really built coming out of the recession in 2008. So we had done a lot of development from 03 to 07 and um, had some good projects, made some uh, good money, but, but coming out of the downturn was really crucial for us. First of all, it had, it kind of um, had eliminated 
a lot of the competition out there. So we were able to buy properties that we probably wouldn't have been in the running for. We bought 11 acres in downtown Knoxville, right on the river, this riverfront views. And it was a property that had been competed over the previous year by much larger developers. The city was selling it. So, you know, Aaron and I would not have been on the short list of buyers, but in 2009, (laughs) um, we had kind of tiptoed through the downturn, had been able to, uh, you know, not be stuck with any bad projects on our books. And so we were one of the few developers who could get a loan and, and buy the property. And so from there, we, we kind of started, we did that new construction project in, in Knoxville, but then we also started buying existing apartment buildings that had been built maybe in the 80s and early 90s and just needed a new round of capital and improvements to continue to operate well. Yeah. And so that was really the the downturn was really important to our business. And so, but it was all kind of based around being, I think just having a, having a plan, being steady. We were never, I think people can get too focused on, am I getting it exactly the lowest price? And we, we didn't know it was just felt like a, a good deal. And so um, it made, yeah. it made sense to us. So we, we bought and I think, just like investing in the stock market or investing in the, you can spend so much time trying to outthink yourself. And the bottom line is the stock market, real estate, those have been good investments in this country for hundreds of years. So the chances of it not being a good investment right now, just wait five or 10 years. You'll be so glad you did it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. I guess what I'm hearing from you is, you know, as an investor, if you have the excess funds or if you know that you can get a good loan, it might be a good time to, to go for it. But one thing that I know I've learned personally from the investor side of things is just that it's really just all kind of a math game and you really have to kind of just pull the emotional side out of it. And, um, if the numbers work, they work. And like what you were saying, you're, you know, instead of focusing on just, making sure that you get the lowest price possible. I think it's more beneficial, or at least what we have found is um, that it feels like a win-win and that, you know, you're helping out the seller and that you're also, they're helping out you by giving you an an investment opportunity. And I think when you kind of change your mindset around being so focused on just getting a kick-ass deal, you know, instead of it just, if if it works for you, then that's great. Um, I think right now, one of my favorite quotes, of course, is a Warren Buffett, just when he said, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And so I think that kind of goes along with just what you were saying about if it's a right time to invest or not. I think what you're saying is if you, if it works around your long-term plan and you're, you have the means to do it, then, then go for it. Yeah. So what if you don't, what if you don't have the means like, what if you just wanted to get a loan to mm-hmm. invest? Is that yeah. a bad idea? <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> I would, I would okay. say, that. I That's think you I need, thinking. well, I think that when I talk to young investors who are ready to, who want to take the next step, uh-huh. inevitably, um, they don't, they haven't saved up 
the money to make their down payment and they want to borrow that. So they borrow a down payment from someone or some investors and then then they get a loan. They have to pay the investors a piece and then they have to it, it, they really overcomplicate what and and mask a problem that yeah. um, they have an investment problem when they really they, they kind of have a, a spending and a savings problem. Like they they haven't done the hard work yeah. of like hey live on less than you make for a long time, you know, for two, three years and save up some money and don't, you know, splurge on, on things that uh, aren't going to appreciate for you. Think of this, like, you know, kind of, I mentioned earlier, kind of being, uh, having a financially damaged mindset from a young, <laughs> young age. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and so, uh, you know, Dave Ramsey was really big in Nashville. He's based here. And, and so he's always on the radio and I would just, find myself every now and then listening to him. I uh, read a couple of his books and he said something and I'm not quoting him exactly right, but he said something, find what your drives you. So if you're a kind of com- a competitive person, did you know that in Japan, their average savings is 18% of their income? Wow. And so if you're a competitive person, like, be as good as Japan, you know? <laughs> so that kind of stuck with me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm competitive. I'm going to save 18% <laughs> every month of what I bring home. And like, I don't know, just I, simple things like that have always uh, stuck with me. And um, don't borrow yeah, money like on that. a car or if you, you can avoid it, you know, don't, don't borrow money on depreciating assets. Just figure out a different way. So I was fortunate my wife and I have been on the same page with, with things like that. And so it really, it really helped. It was a blessing for us kind of being entrepreneurial and thinking long-term about Mm -hmm. just how we spend our money. Yeah. Especially from uh, such a young, you know, in your early twenties too, I feel like it's just such a head start when you're able to understand that. Cause I, I think we'd all, all agree that unfortunately in their school education and all of that, I mean, even in college, it really wasn't until my master's that I really started kind of learning like real life financial stuff that would apply in real life. (laughs) And I just feel like there's such a loss there. Um, So I think it's, I always love hearing the stories of um, people who just got it earlier on, because I know, for me personally, we really didn't start focusing until our 30s. And uh, and of course we would love to like, gosh, if we had only started this at 23, 30s <laughs> are the new twenties, you know, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. <laughs> that's um, Hunter, what would you say? I, I think we kind of covered this, but like for someone first time investing, like what would you say would be the best way to start or like for your first investment? Yeah. So, so real estate is, uh, you know, the three most important factors, what location, location, location. And if you, and so I would always look at it that way, including even more so people think of, you know, houses as appreciating assets, which is kind of misleading. It's really, um, houses are depreciating assets, like the wood and the, you know, the kitchen you put in today isn't going to look so great in 20 years, you know? So, so the house mm-hmm. itself yeah. is, is, kind of depreciating it's the land that's appreciating and so that's why location is so that's important a good way to put it and so i would mm-hmm. i would 
I would find a location, an area that was convenient and close, and, and I would save up and buy an investment property in, in that area. And Would uh, you say like single family or duplex, or does it matter? I think that the, the key for most people out there is, is just to not agonize necessarily over what's best, but they're all good. And just you know, take action, start, start saving, find, do your first deal and learn from it. Yeah. Right. I didn't really know until yeah. I did it. Like I didn't, you know, I, I it just kind of, I learned that by owning my first duplex. Like, oh yeah, I'm getting a little more rent and, and yeah. I'm going to be able to convert this back to a single family. And so you'll just learn as you go and you'll tweak your plan. And so I'd say mistakes, the key is just to take some action. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mistakes that we made, we, we, we bought some things and done some things along the way that we, we wish we hadn't. Yeah. Um, for listeners that are interested in single family, um, I, I just want to share a book that I read and it's a super simple read, but if you're not, if you're kind of intimidated by the whole idea of it, this just really helps with kind of a how to, and it's called building wealth one house at a time. I think it's by John Schwab or something like that, but that was just a very useful, easy read that, like what you're saying, Hunter, I think that I think it's important to, you know, do your homework, try to talk to as many people that have already done what you want to do. And maybe you can learn from mistakes that they learned that you can possibly avoid. Um, but I think you're exactly right. At, at a certain point, you just have to kind of step off and go for it and not let fear or whatever it is get in, get in your way. Yeah. yeah. So with that said, Hunter, is there kind of one story or lesson that you have learned throughout your career, whether it's personally or business that you can share with us and our listeners that just kind of sticks out in your mind as a big, really maybe hard lesson or good lesson <laughs> for all of us to know? Put him on the spot. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good question. So one maybe lesson. Th maybe um, think in your... Maybe think in your earlier days of getting into real estate, um, whether it's from just your business side. I know that you said, Eric, um, your business partner in the tech days, maybe y'all learned some business lessons there. Um, oh, yeah. But okay. If Aaron... I got lots from that. Yeah. Aaron, <laughs> Aaron I'm so, sorry. Aaron. Um, <laughs> so what we learned early on was uh, several things. One, one is that bigger isn't better. So we had this, uh, this technology company. We grew from about nine people to 65 people. We had an office and we were based in Nashville, had an office in New York and Cairo, Egypt of all places. And, oh, wow. And uh, we're kind of, you know, the, the dot-com boom was humming. We, we were like in our you know, mid twenties and bulletproof and, you know, just kind of felt like we, um, invincible, you know, the old <laughs> rules didn't apply. And, and so when the, when that downturn hit just those lessons, like we, we never really made any money, like personally or for the business, you know, it just, it wasn't a, a good business, even though it looked cool on the outside and it was, it was big. We had a lot of employees, that lesson was really important when we were doing a ton of condo development in 2000, 
six and seven and all of a sudden we looked at each other and we're like man this feels awfully familiar to what we went through mm-hmm. last time and so we made some decisions like we didn't have any employees we were only going to do as many developments as Aaron and I could kind of do on our own and so we outsourced our sales department to village we outsourced um if we couldn't do it ourselves then that just meant we we that'd be the max number of projects we could do we didn't have this growth at all costs mindset of of growing our condo development business and so the same way just just kind of I am big on like taking action you got to take some risk in this life or you're not gonna get ahead but at the same time do it smart do it methodically you know, don't let your ego drive any decisions. I guess that would be my summary lesson. Well, one thing I heard too is like, it sounds like don't, which I feel like we've heard this before is don't outsource too soon when you're starting a business. I think that's really important. Like the things you can do yourself, do it. Um, That is so important. And if you're buying a rental property, which I think everybody should own a rental property, don't (laughs) hire a management company. Don't hire a I would just do it, do it yourself, get in there, help, you know, yeah. hire the, hire the cleaner if you want or clean it. I mean, my wife and I would, we'd go in there, we'd rent them ourselves and you just, you learn the business, you learn, um, you save a ton of money. It just take, you take a ton of risk out of the business, the more you do yourself. And, right. um, yeah. Megan, do you have a question? Well, it kind of is going to get us sidetracked, but, um, kind of skipping ahead and now you're the CEO of Village and Kristen's a real estate agent within Village. So I'm like, I need the dirt on my sister. How, how she's doing? Oh, oh she's doing great. <laughs> she's my, of all, Not that you'd of say all 300 agencies, my favorite. Yes, yes. That's what I wanted to hear. I can't wait for all of Village to listen to this yeah. now. <laughs> We just forced you on our podcast and made you say that. <laughs> you know, his cousin is like one of the main age. So I don't know, think David's going to like that too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. I'm just his. So David's dad, David <laughs> Doris funny. is my, is my cousin. And he is a, a partner at, at village with me and also a, a, a great friend. But his, his dad is the uncle who I referenced earlier who, who taught oh, me, cool. you know, and um, it was just such a neat relationship as a, a know nothing, you know, team to be able to sit with someone and, and ask questions and, and for him to just say, like, yeah, well, I, here's how I did it. And I bought this and here's the benefit. And just so it was, um, it was yeah. really, um, I'm really thankful for, for him. And then uh, for David and I get to work together so closely over the last 15 that's so cool. years. Yeah, it's that's neat. Treat. That's so cool. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the book, um, rich dad, poor dad, just kind of the two, how you described like your mind, your mindset with your own family and then versus his. And so from a young age, you kind of were like, I want to go that route. So that's cool. Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't compare. Yeah. I've read that book and love it. And I had my, actually have a senior in high school daughter and she, she read it last year. I was like, this is a, you need to read this because it, you know, the, how it talks about money and entrepreneurial and, and real estate. I think, I think it's important. Even I didn't have what I would uh, call a poor dad situation in the same way, no. um, but 
but I did have a rich dad and my, and my uncle who was, who was really uh, helpful for me. Yeah. I've heard that, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that the, that story isn't actually a true story, but it's just more of like kind of the idea behind it, whether it's true or not. I think it's a good, a definitely a, a good read, but yeah. it's funny you say that about your daughter. Cause my dad actually, um, he's always been a big entrepreneur spirit and he had me read it. I'll never forget. He brought it on an airplane one time and he was like, you need to read this. <laughs> and I think I was in college already. And I think I got past the first chapter and I was kind of like, it almost like kind of stressed me out. Cause I think naturally, um, I'm not at back, you know, I, back then I wasn't so much a risk taker. It was, just, I, I just wasn't there yet. Um, so I never finished the book and then, um, I probably read it about five years ago again and was laughing because I was like, this is so funny that my like 19 year old self was like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh hopefully, hopefully your daughter will have a better reaction to it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I wish I was more like you when you said you were listening to your uncle. I was like, I feel like when I was a teenager, I don't know. I wasn't listening to adults like that and <laughs> yeah. I kind of kicked myself. <laughs> oh, well. uh, I was a mess in a lot of areas. Man, and we, how, how old are... a lot of therapy to get <laughs> out of it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all Same need for all of therapy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How old are your four children, by the way? Yeah, so my oldest is a senior. She's 18. And then I've got a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. And a twelve-year-old, so uh, it's girl, girl, oh, wow. so boy, boy. Two years. Yeah. Every, wow. Every two years. <laughs> Y'all were and... busy in those toddler years. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. my gosh. Yeah. We made it. <laughs> this is Megan, I have. <laughs> I just have two: a four-year-old and a two-year-old right now. And this quarantine is <laughs> killing you. <laughs> oh, oh, if we had gone through this with yeah, back when they were younger, I don't think we could have made it. Right now, they're. <laughs> <laughs> pretty self-sufficient you know they're uh, it's a totally yeah, different ballgame nice. they're they're up on they're in school right now upstairs taking zoom classes <laughs> yeah kinda, kinda hey i do have i'm curious yeah. about your senior is she um how is that affecting her graduation and stuff it's really awful i mean you know yeah. she you i mean there's obviously much worse <laughs> things out there than, than what she's going sure. through, but it is sad. You kind of, she's a great kid, had a, has had a wonderful high school experience, but you kind of look forward to the, that senior slide where you're into school and you're yeah. you got senior prom and graduation and all this stuff that's just kind of immediately ripped, ripped away from you. And Gosh. so, yeah, it is yeah, kind of so disappointing. Sad, so you know, sad. she's she's doing things like you know drive by birthday parties for friends and you know a parking oh, lot yeah. thing where you sit you know in your you know your trunk Boot ten in the feet car. away yeah. from everyone and that's the extent of her you know social interaction right now. And so, Aww. well, this will be a time that we certainly all remember, um, Hunter. I think that. You know, we like to end our episodes with a challenge and we would love for you to assign us that challenge. If you have something in mind, okay. Have anything yeah. for us? 
<laughs> so I've got a couple things. One, uh, just kind of thinking what we've we've talked about. One challenge for people would be if you're if you've had trouble, you know, kind of getting investment dollars saved up or something to do with, just do some simple mm-hmm. stuff like prepare a budget and kind of get on it, or, or create a way. Like the way I did it was just I auto deposited. 18% out of my paycheck every month. And so I just didn't have it to, to spend. Mm. So you can do some That's tricks good. like that, but I'm not a yeah. detailed budget guy envelope system the way Dave Ramsey teaches it, but I am a pretty good mm-hmm. saver. And I think it's because I was able to create some systems uh, around it. So figure out what works for yeah. you and, um, I like your competitive advice because I'm super, we're all competitive. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. Doesn't that feel good? It's like, oh, yeah. if Beat Japan can do that yeah. on average, <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, do that. Um, That's good. And then I think the, the other thing I would say is, is whether you're in, you know, with your, with your career, just kind of outside of the investment world, if you've got a, a normal, job is just figure out ways to be irreplaceable where you are. So we've got, we've got some people we work with in our company, some, a few employees now, and and that's kind of the, the thing with our favorite ones that, you know, we can't even imagine having to find someone else to do that. There'd be no way to replace them just because their yeah. hands are in everything. They're, they're excellent at every piece you ask them a question they get right back to you and if they don't know the answer it doesn't mean they never make a mistake but it's just kind of they've got that mindset of uh of excellence and so that's something i'm always trying to strive for so that would be a a challenge the other one if you don't feel like you're there yet uh there's a book uh called mindset by carol dweck i read a few years ago that that talks about having a growth mindset that, you know, whatever you are now, you're not in a static place and, and you can yeah. grow from where you are now. And, and, and so it kind of can shift and have profound effects on, on how you see the world and how you see your, your own shortcomings. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they're not lifelong things you need to avoid, but there are opportunities you can, you can grow from. So I would, I would recommend yeah. anybody to read that book. That's great. Cool. I'll put it on our, on up. our list. Yeah. Those are all so good. Thank you for that. And we really thank you a lot for taking the time out during your busy week, um, to come hang out with us for an hour or so. And, we wish you all the best. And um, if you don't mind, can you share with our listeners if anybody wanted to kind of learn more about Village or um, Evergreen, where could they find you? Yeah, so Village is at villagerealestate.com. And then Evergreen is evergreenrealestate.com. So well, that's yeah, easy. easy. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> So if anybody's in the Nashville market, for sure, check them out. And I think that we, I feel good about what you said just about the market and economy that yes, we're just in a crazy time of uncharted territory with the coronavirus and everything, but for us just to not lose hope. And if you're on the fence about buying and selling, if you are in a good position to do so, go for it. And yeah, let's just all stay positive and 
Have Thank a great week. Yeah, have a great week. <laughs> we will see y'all next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you.